Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. The first time I taught about the story of the prodigal son, I took my third grade Sunday school class out to the church lawn and told the kids we would act it out. Immediately, Barbara, a bold, very self-assured little girl, said, Why can't it be the prodigal daughter? I want it to be the prodigal daughter. I said, Okay, you can be the prodigal daughter. It doesn't matter. Then we read the passage together, and Barbara said, I've changed my mind. I don't want to be the prodigal daughter. I wouldn't be so dumb. Well, Barbara was on to something. The prodigal son is not really the star of this story. My artist friend Charlie Maxey painted a picture of this father at the moment he embraces the prodigal son. He also painted a prodigal daughter. It's up on the wall and on your live stream screen right now. But he wrote these words on both paintings. This is the story of the prodigal son. It should really be called the running father who waited every day for his boy to come home, the son who rejected him so badly, But when the father saw him from a long way off, he ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. Have you ever been surprised by a welcome? I have. In December 1973, at the height of the Troubles, as they were called, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, I was in a car with my boyfriend driving north from Dublin Airport to meet his parents for the first time. I knew they had raised their two boys in a very traditional Bible-based church, and I knew my boyfriend was devoted to his mom and dad. We were 27, 28 years old and very much in love, but I knew there was no future for our relationship if his parents did not approve of me. And the thing is, I was was a 27 years old divorcee from New York with an eight-year-old daughter. On the drive up to Belfast, we hardly spoke. We were both pretty nervous. Except when he told me that he had told his parents I was divorced, but he had not yet told them I had a child. The night was dark and stormy, and the closer we got to Belfast, the more tanks and jeeps full of British soldiers with guns pointed at us we saw. The police station of every town was surrounded by huge walls topped with barbed wire and searchlights. Finally, we pulled into the driveway of his parents' house. The front door opened. Light and warmth framed the boyfriend's father, who stood with his arms wide open and embraced me with a big bear hug. I was accepted then and there on that stormy night, just as I was. What about you? If this has never happened to you, or if it has not happened for a very long time, or you need it to happen today, now, you've come to the right place. Because everything we do here at Calvary St. George's is, to, is trying to give you a big hug. Whether it's our worship, whether our singing, our scriptures read, our meal together, or any gathering that we have, it's all about you feeling embraced in warmth. I was surprised by a welcome. I was not expecting that hug. 
and neither was the prodigal son. He was a young, naive boy who had brazenly asked for his share of the inheritance, about half what the older brother would get, before his father was dead, before he was even sick. There's nothing wrong with him, but he wanted his inheritance right away, which was as good as wishing the father dead. And this young, naive boy had left home and gone far away. He wasn't out in the fields, slaving away like his older brother. He went far away and he spent all the money in dissolute living. The author of the Jewish wisdom book, Sirach, warns patriarchs, to son or wife, to brother or friends, give no power over yourself while you live, and give not your goods to another so as to ask for them again. The idea being, they might be gone when you ask. But this boy squanders all of his inheritance, and then a natural disaster hits, a famine. And the boy finds himself with no job, no food, no roof over his head in a strange land among foreigners, which means they were Gentiles, non-Jews. They ate pork, ate pigs happily, but Jews don't go near pigs. And the only job he could get was feeding pigs. A huge dishonor for a Jewish person. In other words, the boy has hit rock bottom. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten to a place where you can do nothing to get yourself out of the trouble you're in? I have been there. I was alone in my bed. My little girl was asleep across the hall. It was the night of the day her dad had moved out for good. He had left us. And I remember lying there and thinking, I'm never getting off this bed. I can't, I can't deal with this. And then I remember being really, really angry and swearing, literally, God damn it, God, I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. I've tried to be a good mother and a good wife, and this is not fair. And then I heard myself say, I can't cope with this, so you better take over. You? I wondered, where, where did that you come from? I was swearing at the ceiling. Who is you? Well, I didn't know who you was at that moment, but I was filled with amazing peace. And I remember thinking, oh my God, now I'm some kind of big roller coaster of emotions. What's going to happen next? And I lay awake all night waiting for that peace to go away, and it didn't go away. It just didn't go away. And finally, the sun came up, still filled with peace, and then I heard myself say out loud this time, Jesus, are you here? And to my heart, my mind, I heard the reply from Jesus, of course I'm here. You called out to me. You cried out to me. Of course I'm here. It was almost the attitude of, duh, but he didn't, he didn't do it that way. But it was very gentle, and how could you be surprised that I'm here? And by the way, that next year was a very difficult year for me, my little girl. But I never had a night in that next year that I couldn't lay my head down on the pillow and go to sleep and be filled with that peace. And as you know, when you're going through a really difficult time, you need your sleep. If you can't get your sleep, everything is a lot worse. So here's my first point. God shows up when we cry out from our rock bottom. Even if the cry is me cursing God with his name to the ceiling, yes. Because even that cry, even my blasphemy, even that cry 
is a work of the Holy Spirit. Finally, back to our story, the hungry, exhausted, humiliated, miserable boy turns back towards home. He turns around to head home. Do you know the Greek word for repentance literally means to turn 180 degrees like this and go in the opposite direction? He turns around to head home. On the way, prepares a speech to his father. Here it is. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Now, it's hard to tell from the text, but does he really mean those words, or is he just hoping for a roof over his head and steady meals? Is he hoping to be just tolerated as a servant in his father's house? Have you ever hoped to be just tolerated? The best you could hope for was to be tolerated, just to not be sent out of the room? Well, I have that too. And it was months before the breakup of that first marriage, mine. I found myself sitting on top of the washing machine in the basement of my house. There was a party going on in the upstairs, all of our friends. I was feeling pretty blue. I was feeling rejected and ignored yet again. And so I went down to the basement. I sat on top of the washing machine. And again, I cried out. But this time, I knew the ceiling had a name and that the name was Jesus. So I began praying to Jesus to be tolerated. But then my prayer to be tolerated shifted to a prayer to be cherished. That's exactly the word that came to me which kind of surprised me because I was really just hoping to be tolerated. But the prayer came deep from within me to be cherished. And that shift was also a work of the Holy Spirit. It's what we call hope. And this is my second point. The boy came to himself when he hit rock bottom. He turned around. It does not say in the text he felt sorry. He felt desperate. You don't have to have good motives. You don't have to feel sorry for God to meet you with a hug. The prodigal son didn't. He just needed food. So he turned around. He headed home, hoping at best to be tolerated. But when the father saw him from a long way off, which means that father was yearning for him, was watching daily, maybe hourly, for him to come home for years, when the father saw him from a long way off, he was filled with compassion. He ran. Not a dignified thing for a Jewish patriarch to do. He had to hike up his robes and look very undignified, running down the road towards the boy. And he hugged his boy. I love it that the Greek word for hugged here is draped himself over, just, just completely covered him with his hug, draped himself over the boy, and immediately ordered a big party to celebrate his return. A big party for that son who had wished him dead, essentially. In other words, one way love was given before the boy could even finish his I'm sorry speech. And that's my third point. One way love comes first. It's fo it is followed by change, by transformation. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
One way love comes down, then change happens. In this parable, Jesus tells us this. He tells us that he came to heal our wounds, our failed relationships, our blasphemies, even cursed ceilings, our rejections, our feeling not worthy even to be tolerated. He came for all of that. He died so that we who are in the thrall of sin and death might live. He rose from the grave and ascended into heaven so that all peoples of every time and place, even we, might know his hug is for me, for you, this day. Now there's a part of you and me that does not feel this scenario is fair. That's the older brother in all of us. Remember he said to his dad, for all those years I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me even a young goat so I might have a party with my friends. But hard as it is to believe, our Father who art in heaven says to me and to you, son, daughter, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. All that is mine, coming from the creator of the universe, that's a lot. The Lord is saying, my forgiveness, my one-way love, my victory over death, my Holy Spirit, all that is mine is yours. So, again, the running father has shown us God shows up when we cry out from our rock bottom. When we hit rock bottom, the Holy Spirit turns us around. One way love comes first, and it is followed by transformation. So this morning, come. Let your heart be turned. Come with your desperation, your wounds, your rejections, your self-loathing. Come to this table spread for you. Join the celebration. Don't be like that older brother who wouldn't even go in the house. Join the celebration. Your God is yearning for you to come. Join the feast with all who are sitting here and all who are watching online. And angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, they're all here with us. Come. Come for the bread of heaven. Come for prayer at one of our two prayer stations. But come. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.